Hello everyone, I'm Blake Farha. And I'm Jasmaya. And this is See You in Sleep County, a podcast where we tell bedtime stories written for adults. And these stories are so very special because they come straight from the journals of the one and only Jasmaya and are adapted to be soft, sensorial tales to help whisk you away into that lovely realm we like to call Sleep County. Jazz, I've been thinking a lot about dreams lately. Maybe it's just me getting older and moving on into someday soon that phase of my life where dreams are a thing of the past, I suppose, where you've kind of done it all and you're just like, well, I guess now I'm just coming in for as soft a landing as possible. <laughs> and I wonder if I'm living my best life, as the young kids these days say. I wonder if I'm achieving those things that I would like to achieve. And I thought about you because you're somebody who, like me, is constantly trying to improve, trying to grow, trying to experience new things, trying to harness all of the the good vibes of life and, and let them take you somewhere. And I wondered, have you ever had a dream come true? Um, to be honest, for most of my life, I didn't have any... Well, okay, that's not true. I have never been a very ambitious person. And perhaps part of that is because I didn't want to fail at achieving the things that I wanted. But I think a large part was also that I didn't really... Mm, I didn't really look for worth in achievement, at least after I sort of recognized that it was futile to do so. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, for a long time I kind of just drifted through through life, not really trying to achieve anything, just enjoying whatever was, was there in the present moment and, you know, attaching myself to, to projects or uh, skills as they took my fancy, but never having a single goal or a, a bigger goal. Mm. And this served me well for a really long time because it meant I could be very present with whatever was coming up without putting too much expectation upon it. Um, mm -hmm. But a few years ago, maybe five years ago, I I had um, one New Year's, I decided to write a couple of, not resolutions so much, but uh, goals that I would have liked to have achieved in the coming year. And it was the mm -hmm. first time in my life I'd ever done that. Um, mm. And I remember... This was a time where I wanted to move into to writing as a career. Uh, I wanted to mm -hmm. to write for magazines, um, be a journalist or a, a blogger, something like that. And to my surprise, uh, setting goals and then working towards them ends up more often than not in achieving those goals, and that actually feels really good. Uh, so this mm -hmm. is kind of an epiphany for me that, yeah, that there was a special kind of... Um, satisfaction or joy in setting out to achieve something um mm -hmm. and yeah when i first when i had my first article published it was such a wonderful feeling um so i suppose that in a way was like a a very short-term small dream come true but yeah it kind of mm. helped me recognize that you know there's a difference between basing your worth on the outcome of your achievements and enjoying the challenge of of reaching towards an achievement so that's been an important differentiation for me. I feel like that that is a quote that I will definitely come across on an Instagram post on some, you know, self-help page somewhere. <laughs> um, that's a beautiful, a beautiful thought, Jazz. Thanks for sharing that with us. And did this feeling of achievement, this sense of like, I set out to do something and I accomplished it, did it, did it, uh, 
lower the barrier to continuing to chase things that you're interested in? Did it help you? Did it create a cascade of goals and, and accomplishments of dreams and hopes? Yeah, it was definitely, I wouldn't say it created a cascade perhaps, but it, it opened a door. Um, yeah, it allowed me to kind of, yeah, have have something to reach towards, whereas before I was kind of floating aimlessly very happily. But yeah, um, when I discovered that, it, it kind of, I, rem- I remember journaling about it, um, something to the effect of who would have imagined that setting a goal and working towards it would actually result in achieving that goal? It was like an epiphany for me, really. <laughs> and it seemed so obvious, but I don't know, the way I'd lived my life before that, it just had never occurred to me. So, yeah, mm. definitely since then, I've I've changed my relationship with um, not so much ambition, but, yeah, um, goal setting, perhaps. We're going to send hopefully some very lovely people off into a dream this evening. And how exactly will we be doing that? Well, actually, this all comes full circle because tonight's story is also about a dream that I achieved. Um, One that you were there for. You're not in this story specifically, but you saw the culmination of it. Um, I had always dreamed of building my own house, which you know. And so tonight's story is the tale of uh, setting the foundations for this house with some really beautiful people and a very dear friend of mine, Tal. Um, It's entitled The Myth of Sisyphus. The Myth of Sisyphus. My goodness, Mm -hmm. I look very forward to reading this story because I often look (laughs) at my life as a big Sisyphean mess where I'm like, why do I keep pushing the boulder up the hill when all I want (laughs) to do is just slide back down to the bottom? (laughs) Okay, cool, 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 cool. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully... I don't know, that's the beauty of life, I think. None of it really has any purpose or greater meaning. We're all just, yeah, rolling a rock up a hill and letting it fall back down again over and over again. Until our heart stops. I don't know, if I didn't do that, I don't know what else I would do. Yeah, exactly. So, with that, (laughs) Blake, (laughs) I will hand tonight's story, The Myth of Sisyphus, over to you. And to those of you at home, I do hope you've had a nice chuckle at our existential musings um, and that you drift peacefully into a state of existential unknowing because that's all we're doing here. And it's a beautiful thing. So, good night, sweet dreams. Enjoy the ride. I'm Jazz Maya, and I'll see you in Sleep County. Thank you very much, Jazz. As we prepare for tonight's story, gently close your eyes and snuggle into bed. Allow yourself to find the position that feels just right. And when you've found that perfect spot nestled among the covers, take a nice, slow, deep breath, letting the worries of the day drift away as you exhale. Imagine the air falling into your belly and chest as you breathe in effortlessly. And as you breathe out, imagine the breath falling out of you again. Take a moment to feel the bed beneath you 
gently supporting your body. Release any tension you might be feeling, starting with the muscles in your face. One by one, allow them to go slack. Let the muscles in your arms, shoulders, and chest relax. Move your attention to your belly, your lower back, and let them sink into the mattress. Release any tightness in your thighs, your knees, your calves, and your feet. And enjoy for a moment the feeling of total relaxation, your body totally at ease. And now, for tonight's story, The Myth of Sisyphus by Jazz Meyer. My muscles strained against the weight of the sandstone boulder, its rough surface pressing against my hands, daring me to quit, taunting me into giving up and letting it tumble back down the hill from whence it had come. Beside me, the grunts and groans of my new friends mingled with my own to create a cacophony of sound befitting the struggle as we inched ever forward, determined to win against this hulking rock. For days, we'd been at this task, hoisting, rolling, flipping or dragging enormous boulders from a pile of rubble on the hillside to the hilltop upon which we were building our new home. With the help of friends and volunteers, Toby and I had cleared a rectangular space in the brush upon our recently purchased patch of land in the Portuguese countryside and had set about building a cottage with little to inform our endeavor but a belief that it could be done. The May sunshine threatened to beat down upon us were it not for the shade of the tall pine trees that surrounded our little quarry, cooling us in those morning hours before their shadows shrank under the relentless rising of the sun. With a throaty one, two, three from Toby, our little team threw its weight behind the sandstone slab, pushing it up the last incline to the plateaued path on the hill's ridge. With heavy breath and glowing faces, we allowed the relief to flood us, letting our fatigued muscles rest a little. Each stone that we moved had once been a part of somebody's home, from what we gathered through our piecemeal Portuguese, the former owner's father had built a cottage upon the land, only to disassemble it years later and rebuild in the village proper. We had picked the best of the first stones, rolling the biggest ones up the hill, first on makeshift rollers of pine logs, then dragged with ropes, before finally settling on the technique of flipping the stones over themselves 
to make it up the incline, one heave at a time. The rest we carted up in wheelbarrows, trying our best not to let them tip to one side or the other before we could get to level ground. And in this way, we relocated the entire pile to the work site that awaited us atop the slope. With a wide view of the valley below and the neighboring hillside to the east, Toby and I dreamed of the day these rocks would be transformed into a little house built with our own hands. At night, the sky was illuminated with a river of stars that informed the land's moniker, Celestial Valley, and I looked forward to many a night spent in our cottage, peering out at the stars that blanketed this patch of earth we called home. When the last of the stones was delivered, we breathed a sigh of relief, proud of our achievements and the effort we had exerted to get us there. Leaving a pile of waiting stones and a finished foundation, Sam and Sophie, the volunteers who had pushed every rock alongside us, had bidden us farewell. Toby, too, was leaving for a while, and on the day he departed, I was joined by a little pixie of a girl to puzzle together the sandstone over the following ten days. Tal had come to us with proclamations of love and connection, drawn open-heartedly to our burgeoning community in the midst of her own whirlwind journey. From Canada to Israel to Portugal, she traveled wherever the wind took her. From the outset, I was struck by her intrepid spirit, saying yes to any and all opportunities that crossed her path in a search for truth, beauty, and adventure. She was open and eager to accompany me in the mammoth task that awaited us atop the hill. And on her first morning at Celestial Valley, we rose with the sun, ready to face the earth. Fueled with oats, fruit, and warm tea, Tal and I began. What lay before us was a pile of giant stones and a rectangle of trench, and our task was to make them one. It was a puzzle not only for the body, but for the mind, and I hoped both would be up to the task. Tal was slight, and I wasn't much bigger, but we'd both spent the last months working hard in the kinds of places that demanded physical strength and an undaunted spirit. More than anything, we were willing, excited by the prospect of what two women could achieve when left to their own devices. With the first heave of a rock, we were away, relishing the satisfaction that came when we set it into its final resting place with a yell of triumph. We started in the northwest corner, our first piece a triangular rock that would set the shape of the remaining stem wall. Each stone from then on needed to be carefully chosen, puzzled into place, so that the foundation stood solid and strong for all that would be laid upon it. Piece by piece, we hauled stones to the trench, sometimes finding the perfect fit, other times exerting all our energy to move a rock 
only to find it lacked the angle needed or wobbled on an awkward point and had to be hauled out again. There was a certain satisfaction that came with puzzling out a pile of mismatched stones into the foundations of a house, taking chaos and turning it into order, while still paying homage to the organic forms of nature. Every stone was a new challenge, and as we worked, I pondered the lessons I might learn from such an endeavor. I knew, both by instinct and experience, that these things could not be forced. If a rock didn't fit, there was no point in struggling against it. The right rock would come along to fill that gap in the wall, or perhaps two or three smaller stones could make up the space together. I let my thoughts spill out, remarking to Tal, these rocks are teaching me that you can't force people to fit together if they don't match. Better to wait for the right fit to come along. Tal, to her credit, relished my musings, and I was thus dubbed the Rock Poet, a title I wore proudly as we attempted to puzzle boulders and philosophy into something solid and stable. After hours of this, we had completed one layer of a small section of wall and were happily exhausted by our work. It was June now, and the searing summer sun was beginning to catch us. I knew that anything resembling work was impossible after midday, and we retired to the shade of the ramshackle kitchen to rest and enjoy the simplicity of each other's company. While we whiled away our days like that, rising early to make the most of the cool of the morning before resting when the sun reached its zenith, more rock poetry was composed, and little by little we filled the trenches with stones puzzled together to fit each other snugly. We heaved enormous boulders and carried smaller rocks in our arms, our skin scratched and torn from the sandstone grit, our brows beaded with sweat, our shoulders turning pink in the sunshine. Between the two of us, we rolled, heaved, and levered a collection of rocks that would leave most grown men quivering in their boots. Tal's third day on the land was known as St. John's Day, traditionally celebrated by gathering St. John's wort to be dried and stored till winter, when its antidepressant properties were made use of in teas and tinctures. We were both eager to make the most of that afternoon, after yet another morning of tireless labor, and noting the surrounding fields were abloom with the flower, we set off on a wander through the Portuguese countryside. There were still paths I had not yet trodden, and our hunt brought us past my point of familiarity with the land. Along a winding dirt track beneath an aging cork oak, we spotted an enormous patch of tall St. John's wort waiting for our harvesting hands. Between us and the herb, however, stood not only a crumbling stone wall, but a thicket of brambles, their thorns glinting threateningly in the sunlight. Tal, intrepid pixie that she was, 
remained undaunted and insisted, despite my advice to the contrary, on mounting the wall and braving the blackberry vines in search of that golden reward. As I expected, the brambles took hold of her, but she forged on unperturbed, picking each clinging vine from her dress with delicate ease. The towering stalk that awaited her was rich with a spray of yellow golden flowers, its leaves perforated by those telltale translucent spots that give the herb its botanical name, Hypericum perforatum. In a flash she was back, bouquet in hand, and clambered over the crumbling wall with a thud of falling stones and a nice bruise to show for it. In that moment, I knew she was a kindred spirit, a child of the woods, as I was, and we ambled on happily, marveling at Tal's determination and the prize she had claimed because of it. We walked along, enjoying the lazy afternoon as a welcome respite from the intensity of the morning. In the lives we had each chosen to lead, we experienced nature in all its facets, embodied that day in the roughness of the stone, the softness of the flowers, the sharpness of the brambles, and soon we were blessed with another delight. As we walked along, dozens of purple-gray butterflies floated up from the greenery that lined the edge of the path. Dancing around us delicately, they created a moment of magic that set us laughing in wonder at the beauty of that place and flooded our hearts with gratitude. We had witnessed something truly enchanted and thanked the earth for all her gifts. Over the following days, we continued our task, our bond growing stronger with every stone we lifted, every wild blackberry we harvested, every conversation we shared. Two strangers in isolation had fast become friends, and a sororal connection was burgeoning at the heart of our friendship. There were certain circumstances that would make or break a connection, and through our rock puzzling and poetry, we were certain our friendship would last beyond our time together at Celestial Valley. For now, though, we had a stem wall to build, and we eagerly set about our task with laughter on our lips and love in our hearts. The ten days of Toby's absence was drawing to a close, as was the first phase of our project. Two enormous lintel stones had been salvaged from the ruin, giant flat slabs of sandstone that had once served as support between the doors of the cottage and the weight of the walls above. These we repurposed as threshold stones to mark the two doorways this new home would boast. With something approaching superhuman strength, Tal and I managed to set them in place, employing our entire arsenal of rock-puzzling skills. It was a mammoth feat, and in the moment that we let the rock fall into its final resting place, we were overcome with joy. Each of us was brimming with pride and compliments for the other, and that day we may have spent as much time celebrating 
as we had working, sharing the smug self-congratulations of victors in some impossible war. The lintel stones were the last to be set upon our first layer, and though we had plenty more work ahead of us, we knew we had achieved something remarkable, not only in the building of a house, but in the building of a friendship. That was The Myth of Sisyphus, written by the one and only Jazz Meyer. If you're still awake, I hope you're feeling rested and relaxed and ready for a night of wonderful, sweet slumber. This is a really beautiful tale about the joys of bonding through adversity. It's certainly an experience that helps create stronger friendships when we go through something challenging together. And I think my time on Jazz's land, in which I also enjoyed helping her build her home with my bare hands, definitely brought us closer together, even though we were already such close friends. I recall so vividly and so fondly those afternoons spent working on her home, covering the walls in a limestone goo that hardened and became the outside of the house. And even though my hands were completely destroyed by the limestone, even though we were all sweating and tired, even though it was incredibly difficult work, we were all so happy, and we spent the entire time laughing, just happy to be in each other's company. It was maybe the first time I ever realized that you can work very hard with people together and make great progress, and it can be insanely fun and insanely rewarding, and it doesn't have to be a grumpy, frustrating, focused grind. You can spend time together and laugh and laugh because you know that what you're doing, the difficulty, the challenge, it's bringing you closer together because it's bringing you closer to a common goal. And there's nothing wrong with finding joy in your work. I want to thank you so much for joining us for another episode of See You in Sleep County. It's been a pleasure reading this story for you. If you're not quite tired yet, you can always listen to another episode of See You in Sleep County. And hopefully by the end of the next episode, you'll already be lost deep in the land of dreams. I'm Blake Farha, and I want to wish you a good night, sweet dreams, and I'll see you in Sleep County. <laughs>